Hello, I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 23 podcast. Today's episode is about digital twins and artificial intelligence. And we spend a lot of time really looking at how the intersection of generative AI, machine learning, uh, artificial intelligence can be applied to uh, environments using digital twins. How can we improve the simulations, the systems, the interactions that we build? How can we actually correctly model complex components of everything from cars to pumps in ways that allow us to then build on top, actually look at the systems and, and build more intelligent systems? And we come up with some really fascinating grounded examples. So I know you will enjoy and get a lot out of this discussion. Doing AR without digital twinning is really difficult. It seems like it's the to me that's that's almost a very definite not it's not the definition of digital twinning, but no, because a digital twin can represent a physical asset, the data coming out of that physical asset, the processes used by the physical asset or by humans with that asset or a system or a system of systems. So there's like five different parts of what could be called a digital twin uh, or five different approaches. And then you have those, like I was talking about in the FETA twin, which are like end to end. So I start at, at CAE or computer aided engineering. I design my product and I go all the way through to carbon capture or recycle end of life. And that would be one, one complete digital twin of every aspect of every process system and system of systems in a factory. Mm. And then you would either lather, rinse, repeat for multiple locations or tweak as necessary because no two will ever operate exactly the same way unless they're Intel because their method is literally copy exactly around the world. Oh, their factory process. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, does that, does that, does that actually mean building a fully digital version? I mean, it's like, I mean, that's the way I think of as CAD. We're describing that as all the systems. I could see that mechanically. How how deep in the interaction process do those digital twins go? Very, because their whole purpose in in factory automation or in manufacturing are to be able to take you know call it a pump, right? You're going to put a sensor on that pump. You're going to want to monitor all the data coming out of that pump for efficiency for you know like for quality assurance purposes for whatever uh to predict maintenance and to avoid downtime so that would be like one one part of the twin but you would incorporate the physical asset of that pump which is the the physics or mechanically based part the data that goes into it as a recipe i want you to pump water at x speed per hour or per minute gallons per minute um, and then you would be retrieving that data and using it as either part of context or with context around it to find out whether or not that pump is pumping too much water too quickly at the wrong temperature for the next stage of the process, 
or that the water coming into the pump might be too cold and you have to heat it more. So recalibrate the temperature controls of the device that's directly attached to that pump, unless it's a pump that heats, right? So it goes really, really deeply. But I mean, from that perspective, right, there's a, there's the physical model, there's the, the electronic model for it. So we're a digital twin would mean I've got a, I've got a pump and then I should be able to take the sensor output from that pump and plug it into my control system. Right. And then simulate Absolutely. that pump in the control system. Yeah. You would have a data plane, a control plane, a physical okay. monitoring plane, an infrastructure plane where you're you're connecting the sensor or the pump to some other piece of equipment, including what could be an edge computer. Right. Right? I mean, there's many ways to skin that cat, Um, but you'd have probably a five or six layered architecture. And the, the question really now is because, and I'm sure Diana, you've come across this in your, you know, uh, dealings, where you have digital twins that are considered too engineering centric for the business value that they can bring or that are too siloed. Yeah. And how do you then connect them together to get this more contextual, cohesive view of what's really going on? And that's where my leanings are is figuring out how do you connect them? How do you make them more valuable? Because they're not cheap to create in any way, shape or form. You're not just taking a picture and then throwing some AR around it with a a QR code. You're talking to the programmatics at the PLC level, at the mechanical level, at every part of the software that runs it, every part of the control system. And there's now two initiatives. There's one uh, an organization that's come up with a way to start connecting these things. And then Alentia, which is an Italian firm or a Spanish firm that has the drivers for like 5,000 different pieces of equipment. So you can actually API call, which is why Rob, from an infrastructure perspective, from a platform engineering perspective, one could go down this road and alleviate a lot of issues because you're affixing that control and governance mm-hmm. stewardship to someone other than OT, the people who break and repair plant, plant, plant engineering. The, the, the trend line of, of putting APIs in front of all the gear. Um, I think it's interesting because it does serve those two, two functions. One is it lets it get involved in in these processes um yeah which which i think is going to be important from from that controls and maintenance perspective um and then it also enables the digital twinning on the other side to be able to come in and say oh okay wait i can i don't need this the device to simulate its um simulate the simulates not exactly the right word from a digital twin perspective to replicate that the device's behavior is part of the system. Well, you know, it's funny because I was speaking with someone yesterday and their version of the digital twin is actually to create the simulation of everything on the factory floor and then 
do something different than what is norm for the digital twin, which is run everything through the the, the quote unquote simulator, for lack of a better word. Um, don't take the real time data from the systems, but model it, manage it, and control it from from the electronic version, and then issue commands to the equipment if you have to change them. I have a bit of an issue with that. Issue um, commands for equipment? Yeah. I mean, shouldn't you? Because, I mean, it's, oh, God. I mean, at some point with a digital twin, you don't want to talk to the equipment. You want to talk to the twin. And you have to build a model in the digital twin that, right? You're looking, you gave me the look. No, you um, want to talk. Ultimately, you want to talk to the equipment to be able to make a correction. Otherwise, right. it the simulation would be more like a visualization. What you want to do is use the twin to simulate the real world. Mm -hmm. And also, when you need to, interact with the physical equipment. That's what makes it difficult. That's why you have to talk to so many layers of the equipment. Because I mean, because this is and this to me is where the AI starts becoming interesting. That you to do this yes. well though, you'd need a training model on the gear itself to be able to say, here is my piece of gear. I am I'm building a I'm training the inputs and the sensors based on how the device actually performs. Right. And so you could take, for example, let's suppose it's a pump. And you take the manufacturer's spec and their install instructions and all the data that they give you, plus you're able to read data off of the PLC that it's attached to. And you can put that together as your training data, providing providing you can eliminate any bias. So a bias could be too much cold water or the temperature of the water that comes into the pump is out of your control because it comes from industrial whitewater, wastewater, or it comes from a city. And yeah. you have no control over that, right? So that tells you to optimize the value of the use of the pump, you actually need to put something in front of it to, unless it can heat the water to the right temperature before it pumps it through. You know, could, for food would, would you would you value. run these? I mean, this is where it's interesting because I think part of this, the benefit here would be running the digital twin in parallel and seeing if the models matched um, what's actually going on, and then and then I guess you could actually run four or five different scenarios through the system to anticipate, you know, problems or you know pre pre wire a change. Yeah. Right. Um, in my mind, okay. you you design the twin for multiple purposes. One is the run the scenario, train it as a machine learning model. One is use it to simulate what you want to optimize or what historically you've shown you could optimize. And then thirdly, to pull the real-time data and throw that into the MES system or the ERP or a PLM system, you know, any of the back office, or to communicate it to back to a supplier or to a customer. We're making your drink, you know, in the process of manufacturing it, we're making your drink at this temperature. Is that approved according to you, customer, wow. right? I'm thinking about the Pepsi example. Yeah. And and that holds true for pharma, for food and beverage, for 
uh, packaged goods that are, you know, human consumption packaged goods. Transpor- um, I was thinking transportation. Yeah, that too. Like anticipating uh, car behavior, driver behavior. Um, yeah, all, there's all sorts of potential for that. Even carbon capture. So, I, would it be possible here to take um, <laughs> smart components and then not like if if I had you know five lines and I had one of them instrumented to the nines in order to get capture, I could actually then take you know. I, I could take the other four lines and act and make interpretations on those lines, even if I didn't have all the instrumentation. Potentially, I'm, I'm all thinking things of like generative equal. AIs. Yeah, yeah. You could you could use a generative AI. You could use, there's a number of different math models that you could use for that. But what would be really interesting is you could for each let's say they're dedicated lines, right? For each customer, because you'd have to keep the cells separate for intellectual property and other reasons. You have multiple lines doing exactly the same jobs, but the brand at the end, one is Coke, one is Pepsi, one is, you know, or Angina, whatever, um, for lack of a better way of putting it. You could literally take that one line, model it. If all the equipment is the same or within reasonable sameness, yes, you could do a vanilla, a cherry, and a chocolate. And then you could pick those up and move them to another facility, not all things being equal, but most things being equal. Where you get into the difficulty is, and and this is the same with digital transformation as well, forget about digital twins for a moment, the, the notion is that you can build these processes and do these transformations in a way that does not necessarily include the interdependency of one part of a process to another or one human being to another, right? We all collaborate, but there's interdependencies on our collaboration. If Rob does something, it minorly may impact me, but it may may have an exponential impact on Diana. The same holds true in the digital twin. And those are the little doubles in the details kinds of stuff that really come up and bite a lot of companies because they they take a design point that says, ultimately, I want this outcome as opposed to holistically, I want this set of deliverables or this set of objectives to be reached at that outcome. Does that that mean building a system analysis based on digital twins, but then, which makes sense, like, like, because, you know, we're thinking AIs and digital twins together. If you had a system representation with digital twins, you could run scenarios tweak them, tune them, look at the outcomes of the whole system. Um, strikes me that it's going to be only as good as the the valid the validity of those digital twins, right? A, an error in the digital twin could cause pretty significant fault. That well, that's why I was talking about the, uh, trying to eliminate the biases, right? Like the biases of I have a 25-year-old machine on one line and a 10-year-old machine on the other. Uh, okay. That's a bias. 
in manufacturing. I mean, I'm not suggesting that, I mean, in the order to cash process, you could use a digital twin for that too. You could use it at the ideation to design stage or design to manufacturing stage, even in the supply chain, you can model a digital twin because you can um, classify any of it. What what you're describing is a level beyond where I've been thinking about digital twins, I guess, because I've been thinking about them from the visualization perspective, where it's like, you know, I'm looking through an AR goggle, I'm seeing, you know, an overlay schematic, and then it's pulling up the database record for that device. What you're what you're describing is trained is is trained behaviors in the digital twin. Um, and then there's a dimension here behaviors. where, yes, yeah, where, where, but you're th- those aren't going to be. It would be incredibly difficult to actually build a mo- a real model by hand. Um, I mean, maybe that's where you start. I don't know. Well, you you be, there's a lot of there's a lot of ways to do it from the visualization perspective. You can use lidar. Walk into a, a factory that's similar or your own factory. Start mm-hmm. taking photo photos and images. Uh, you can also, there's a, one company that I know of that's actually doing the digital twin for the purposes of um, human mechanics to make people on the shop floor more efficient because you're always going to have an element of people unless it's a lights out factory. And it's anonymizing the faces so you're not you know worrying about privacy issues, but it's how people move around that line and how materials get delivered and inventory and control planes and safety hazards and um, AI driven uh, tow tugs and you've got you've got a lot of activity. So what they're doing is they're looking at the two sides of it. One is how do you enable the workforce using technology? Uh, and the other side of it is how do you incorporate the human element into the digital twin so that you, you're not looking for perfection only in machines. You're looking for operators to be able to respond in, in expected ways. All right. The, the scenario you just described, you, you build up the model. Which is yeah, it, it, it's it's iterative, right? So you're building up this model, and then you're going to have to observe the what you think of as the model in practice, layered against you know basically training training data, which then becomes yeah. AI, right? That's that's an AI exercise, maybe with some supervision, but well, you don't necessarily have. I mean. The algorithm, if you're going to consider the algorithms that are used AI, yes. If you're not considering those AI and you're thinking more like generative AI or something else, where it's truly you're letting uh, the device figure itself out, then no. Because when you build the models, you start with the, you can start with the visual, but you can also just take the, the data from a machine, right? The pump. The pump is spewing out data through its PLC. Take that, throw a, a, a photograph on a whiteboard, but take that data and start putting it into a historian or some other record-keeping device uh, monitoring tool that you already have. And forget about what it looks like. Read just the data of 
on temperature, on, you know, any of the things that I've mentioned previously with regard to that pump. If it's um, a straight, let's say it's a chip shooter, right? Chip shooters fire 50,000 chips per minute onto boards. They're amazing to watch. It's like one of my, you know, totally nerdy things, but it's like, wow. And you see them firing. It's just so cool to watch. But And they place directly onto the board in those little, you know, clips that you find on a, a board. But they're not pasted. And then they get dumped into another process that basically robotic arm lifts the chip up drops the piece of paste, replaces it. And the reason that it's a two-step process as opposed to a one-step process is because uh, the paste dries very, very quickly. So you can't like throw the board, throw the paste, have it go through the chip. It's all happening in milliseconds. So you have to be able to, to accommodate for stuff like that. But really what's also happening is data from each of those processes, the shooter, the application of the paste, the the little foundation, you know, clips that that the chip would sit on, all of that ends up being reported back to an MES. So you can use the data coming out of the MES as the first part of your training model. And the same holds true for other kinds of factories. You know, in pharmaceutical, it's watching the huge dump a dump of chemicals that goes across the ceiling on a crane and comes down and then tilts. Well, the angle of the tilt will tell you how much wastage you're going to have from that batch. Hmm. If you don't, if you don't pour it exactly the right angle of a liquid or a powder, you're going to have stuff falling all over the floor on people. That's waste. And isn't that sort of what digital twinning makes available is the ability to play with those variables without it happening The other one that I'm interested in is, um, does it allow you to prototype new equipment without building the equipment and see how it functions? To a degree. To a degree. I mean, the more... Okay, let me put it this way. There are some types of AI that you can throw the sketch up and it will begin to calculate the kinds of parts that would be needed or the the angles and you know mechanical things you could then have that read into a 3d printer to start your prototyping process all of that data for all of those stages could definitely be gathered yeah and i would urge you to take a look a little little bit of canada here um go take a look at how project arrow was actually created because the whole chassis of that vehicle is 3D. What what project was that? It it, it was just an it was just released. It's a demo car, oh. the first all Canadian made vehicle where it was designed, manufactured, and produced. It's got very cool tech in it, but what I found was really amazing is they have a thing called the cave where you use um, 3D and do your design. But all of the chassis of the vehicle was uh, manufactured with 3D printing. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's very cool. I've got. Thank you for putting that in, Rob. I, I've got to check that out. I was not aware. That's so cool. 
So my inside baseball says that uh, they think Microsoft is moving pieces around is all splitting a product company they bought into more relevant subsidiary parts. But we'll see. I will do some more of my own research, but that's my initial feedback from Microsoft's move. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. And which company would that be, I wonder, of their product companies? I don't know. I'm going to have to do some actual research to back it up. But um, yeah, that was my, that was my texting my resources while you were <laughs> while you were. Sorry, talking. I didn't mean to to rant. Oh no, it's, it's fine. Just, I love it. It's fine. It's fine. It's, I it's um, it. I really love this stuff for two reasons. To me, this is where AI should be going, mm-hmm. where you're going to see a lot of innovation. And you see actually different, this is different from ML. This is true AI. Yeah. Okay. Well, you, uh, machines have to learn, but design, I mean, there's so much going on. I Like I have clients that are doing it, you, that make digital twins um, for carbon capture, for building information management. Mm-hmm. They're now doing it for life safety, you can do it for virtually anything that you can make. Mm-hmm. And to me, anything you can make means you can innovate a lot of different things, whether it's basic infrastructure of computing to the architectures that are used in computing to software. I mean, how many people have used ChatGTP to write software? Yeah. <laughs> it's coming up more and more. Yeah. What about other industries? Are there um, are there uh, any of the softer industries like uh, I don't know, financial services or uh, is that just too digital and they're not making things? I'm, I'm thinking agriculture might be one, but I, I'm just curious. Oh, agriculture for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, capital equipment, plants, industrial, elect- electric, the grid, mm-hmm. uh, telecom. Data centers. Tell me about telecom. I'm sorry? How does digital twinning impact telecom? How would it be used? I have to be careful what I say here. (laughs) Okay, Um, we don't have to get into that. I'm just uh, (laughs) going to let my curiosity. I'll I'll be quiet now. No, 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 please go ahead. You were going to say something, Rob. I, I mean, at some point, what you're describing to me sounds like simulation. And and so I, there's there's times when I get confused between what I what I, what I hear is an evolution of CAD and 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 digital twin, um, because I think there's more here, especially because of being able to 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 take systems effects. Right. Yeah. CAD is. Right, CAD. I mean, you get your physical matching. You have machining, right? You have your physical proximity. But what what I think we keep, what I keep hearing from you, is much more of a behavioral model. It is a behavioral twin. Okay. Yeah. It, I mean, the excuse me. If you if you go back historically, and you know this, so I, I don't want to I don't want to sound pejorative. It came out of NASA, 
right? It was used for uh, building the rockets that went to the moon, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the whole concept of a digital twin evolved from simulation originally, which was purely physics-driven mathematics, nothing more. Then you get into adding the neural network to it, which is the AI component, and starting to look at, could you actually predict behaviors if you had the right kind of math behind it? That's the neural net. But from the physical or the mechanical side, well, okay, now if I if if I can replicate how my hand is moving and also figure out what would stimulate my fingers to play the piano, that kind of stuff, that's where you start getting into what's more the digital twin. Think of how new prosthetics are being made. That's a huge industry, by the way. Yeah. Um, that's that's using digital twins because they're taking the different types of skill sets and putting them together, meaning the mechanical movement, biomechanics, uh, materials, um, the the you know the um, the sensory data from e-skin, the sensors that make the prosthetic move up and down if it's a finger, all of that, that all is part of one layer or one or two layers of the digital twin. Add to that the AI, add to that the infrastructure components to route the data out of the model from step, in the model from step one to step two, out of the model to another model, out of the model to share it in the cloud, out of the model to share it with an edge device, uh, federated, distributed, however you want to do it. It's, it's well, it's connecting the models. The, the place where I, I there's there's layers in this, and connecting the models together, I think, becomes um, interesting from that perspective. I mean, if you took what you're describing as a as a prosthetic hand, mm-hmm. and you that might be composited of a ton of of smaller models. Are you suggesting that you could actually build at some point a model of the hand itself that wasn't yes. decomposed that didn't need to be decomposed? It was just a, a trained model of the hand at a higher level. Okay. Right. It allows yes. you to close the feedback loop between your model right. on, on the physical component. So right. with, with a standard simulation, mm-hmm. you, you have your you, you you have trained your model and, and you think it's correct, but you need to simulate it and then compare it to a physical component. And, and if it diverges, then you need to tune your model. The digital twin allows you to close that loop by saying, okay, I get I get streaming feedback from, from the physical model. And I can use that to adjust the the parameters to my simulation until they both match. And, and then you know that your sim, that your simulation, your, your your digital model matches your physical one, and then you can take that and apply and and change the environmental par- parameters to it, and then make predictions on how those will affect your physical model. But could, I mean, at some point, don't you just throw out the simulation? You could use the simulation to to, to as preliminary training input. Um, okay, don't think of the simulation as static. Think of it as dynamic and constantly right. learning. Uh, and I think okay. that's where you might be, that's the barrier because you're thinking of a simulation as a one-time snapshot. 
I, and, I think of a simulation as a as a designed um as designed. And I I think the the place where where y'all are going that I am not at yet is uh, digital twins are are a learned are a learned model. But they don't have to be, right? It's it's an evolution of a digital twin should be considered a learned model. Yeah. Because because yeah. it actually it, that that's the twin piece. You're saying, oh, here's a here's a device. I I could simulate it, but then I'm going to take the mo- the thing itself, and I'm going to throw in a layer of learning to actually account for its behavior. And and from which I can make predictions and as and and then start changing the variables, the environmental variable or anything else, and then make new assumptions and create this whole set of scenarios around how something is going to function. And, you know, I think the ultimate model of a digital twin is an autonomous vehicle because it is truly mirroring what it expects human behavior to be. Which is a very scary thought. Particularly for the guy who cut me off yesterday. So, <laughs> you know, I, it's, no, uh, it's, it, this is the, one of the challenges is it's not ideal driving. It's it's human driving. Yeah. We're, we're fitting, we're fitting, yeah, we're fitting car, car behavior back into what humans have adapted. Not, uh, not, not, not the, the model for a car. It's, in, it's interesting because one of the things that, that I come back to, right. Cause of my, my area of expertise in data center automation is the idea of simulating you know those environments is is almost silly at some point there's just but you could actually run automation and learn from learn from it and build a twin from a learning model potentially without having to to actually simulate all the inputs well it's funny that you should say that cuz like a year or more ago sorry class i didn't mean to jump in front of you um I, Another member of our crew and I had a very long conversation, and I think you and I had a similar one about why you wouldn't want to create a digital twin as a, as the ultimate decent. Right. Because to, to me, that would be like a, a game changer. Here you go. Here's uh, what you, it should you are, look you're like. You're on the pro side, yeah. Um. I I know. I mean, this is where we went with platform engineering um, conversation and AIs and generative AIs. Actually, um, was being able to run the models and generate or predict what you know what what you were how how what you were building would be impacted or could it improve the the outcomes. Mm-hmm. Um. There's there's two levels with the generative AI conversations. There's a matter of um, building something from the, the models, right? So you could actually ask it to design a factory line. Mm-hmm. Um, based on well, the, the the available twins that you have, but there's a different one which is sim- run run the factory lines cl- and to collect the data. And I'm having trouble connecting those two those two pieces together. They seem very different based on where we are. I, I okay. I I don't see that issue because 
the real life equipment is feeding you that data constantly. So if you can write a control, even whether it's an API or if it, you know a command, if you have that control plane capability, you're telling the machine, tweak yourself in order to give me the result that I want. Now, if you can control it through a PLC or another, you know, computerized mechanism, and it's not a take a wrench and, you know, change a bolt or turn a bolt, then yeah, you could do it. And if you do need the uh, take the wrench and turn the bolt, you call Boston Dynamics and get spot. Mm -hmm. Well, no, it now has an arm that can articulate like uh, uh, 80 degrees or 90 <laughs> degrees. So <laughs> I'm watching these things to both come together. And I'm saying, if it, it, you know, my little pea brain, here's the digital twin that's running the factory floor. And when I do need something mechanical, I have an industrial cobot. Right. Go and do it for me. No human life at risk. To me, that's amazing. I'm not trying to take the jobs away. I'm just saying, you know, in, in risky situations, like I don't understand why that Ohio derailment, mm. why aren't they using robots to clean it up? Uh, that's a very real question. Yeah. Um, would having AI in the, in the mix with this, like, coming in doing a, a digital model of that environment and then being able to that would you know what would what digital twin of that scenario would be necessary to run robots into it actually it's a lot easier than you think because if you know what the load is in each of those cars right you have the physical specification already designed and all the you know input needed for what is it an oil car or a chemical car or whatever kind of cars those are those would be right. you can Thank you God. know cherry pick okay i've got six oil 15 whatever uh as long as you know what the components are or the or the content of each type of car is you can use that to train the model not only for efficiency purposes but also for all the chemicals that are involved you feed that into a learning model and you give that information to the robot because you're able to say, you know, this would melt your metal. This will not. Mm -hmm. and, and start planning it that way. And to me, I mean, if you can use the digital twin for constructing a bridge, IBM has done this in the past. Um, or any other kind of or mining operations or heavy industrial petrochemicals, et cetera, you should be able to use this for transportation in a heartbeat. And not only to figure out how long it will, you know, how much can go in, but the volatility of the chemicals, the need for temperature controls, the tracks. There's a lot of information that you could put in that. Well, I I want to step back for a second because, you know, if if we're say you digital twinned the tracks and the cars, even before systems were being run, right? You could you could actually simulate um, the the environment of of the trains. I mean, and they're doing this right. The electronic scheduling systems they have are allowing them to run much yeah. tighter schedules. So, so somewhere they they actually have a lot of this data, 
what yeah. what's interesting is they could they they could or should be running all these scenarios through it and then i think back to digital twinning those those the predictive run for the train could be compared real time to the actual run of the train and you might be able to get into predictive right you might actually be able to know if something's wrong with the train earlier take more corrective action but then if it once it goes off the rails you you actually have built a, a digital and you know you 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 could actually build disaster scenarios at every you know any high risk yeah the the problem is that those scenarios are, already exist and largely the prevention systems were were already in place but they were being ignored for the sake of short term financial gain uh, right like if there if there's alarms that are going off that saying that you should replace this because it will fail in the future and they're being ignored for, because well it's still working then yeah, <laughs> yeah it's that, that there's no no amount of digital twinning that will prevent you uh that will save you from <laughs> your system being run into the ground no that's 100 percent true i mean you're never going to get to the nirvana state would be able in the digital twin environment would be take all these systems that already exist and put them into a digital twin so that you would know in a cohesive and holistic way pardon the expression shit will happen if you don't follow the rules but if you were to then also take into consideration how are you going to clean up the scenario and the cost of what it will cost to human life and and just generally in financial terms because you know this thing is going to be billion upon billions of dollars and a lot of people's lives are going to be impacted forget about the litigations involved but if you were to look at that versus the cost of fix it while you need when you need to fix it you know it's night and day difference but unfortunately, these things happen. But so it's not so to we, say though that if we, but if we, and and, and yeah, I, I, I'm I'm not as I, I agree on the challenge of human behavior to preemptively address situations. Um, actually, yeah. this this lines up to where I was going from a more um, tactical comment because I'm thinking I'm still I'm still excited and thinking about this idea of robots descending with human supervision into that situation but in the past the robots we've built have been human operated right they're they're human operated the the ones that you're describing would be human supervised yes right they would they would yeah. actually operate much more within you know, they'd have enough information to be able to say, I can't enter this space. I, or I can enter this space. You don't have to figure out where I'm going to put my legs. This is what the the brilliance of the current robot generation is. It's you're, you're saying, look, I need you to go from A to B. You're, it's a joystick. You're not figuring out where to position the legs. Um, no. And, and, and the reason I mentioned spot is because now that the, now that the arm has been added and articulates it moves with each articulation, it will move the body of the robot. 
Whereas before it was the body of the robot would move the four legs and then they added the arm, which could kind of grab something, but it couldn't turn. Right. Mm. Now that it can turn, they've integrated the systems in such a way that as the arm goes up and grabs something, the body moves in position to where it should be very much like a human would if they were doing the same thing. When I look at what it took, you know, like Atlas, some of the bigger ones. But if you think about it, it's and it's not just the, the, the cool and sexy stuff from Boston Dynamics. You have drones that put out fires. You have robots that that or or t- tow tugs that are completely autonomous. Those are like forklifts. Why do you need a driver with a forklift in a very dangerous situation when you can use a machine? I mean, that's you know. Well, that was. I mean, I, I, I have very vivid memories um, of. Uh, <laughs> I'll frame this completely. Uh, it was a, my kids' grandmothers bought them a very expensive drone twelve years ago um, when 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 um, it was still very new. So we got a four prop mm-hmm. drone, a super expensive uh, toy. We assembled it. I think we were we were able to fly to try to fly it. Because it required like four joysticks to operate. The human operational behavior of this drone was 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 too high for especially for 12, 12 and 10 year olds to operate. Um, and I think we 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 got it to lift up once and then crashed it into non-usability um like after one or two flights. Um oh sorry, Tyler, didn't mean to miss you. Um and um and 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 the progression of of control software in these drones has just gone off the charts from the ability you know nowadays people are like just saying oh you know fly up fly up to this height and do a loop or do a, cir- a circuit and the drones have enough sensors and management to actually do that operation and then return return back to base um with minimal instruction is, well, is that? You know, I don't think that's AI. I mean, I, I, maybe Boston Dynamics have AI in there. Oh, is it? Yeah, it is AI. My uh, one of my clients, who also happens to be my neighbor, um, is a manufacturer of wind turbines. He's now expanding into solar, large scale, and he's in the process. They've created a capability where the ultimate goal is the, of, of a capability of using drones to monitor and manage large solar farms because the tilt needs to be exactly right to optimize the amount of electricity that can be created. And they want to use it for visual inspection purposes. So it uses LIDAR and visualization to check the um, surface of the glass on each panel because a little stone chip or something else makes a huge difference. And that is completely autonomous. So all he does is he does a digital twin of the layout of the farm and programs it in and off they go. That's, that's the uh, learning module, if you will, or the learning data for the, for the capability and they sell it as a package in a SaaS environment. So the drone goes up every, you know, once a month and does the inspection and all of that sort of stuff. There's no joysticks involved. 
unless you want them. I mean, they come with right. it, but you don't have to use them. And does that model improve over time? Like as it? Yeah, it does. Okay. Oh, and then, it, but it has to take into account wind, right? There's there's a ton of of things yes. that it has to model in that behavior. I mean, modern drones take account wind uh, anyway. They use GPS location, and if they drift, they self correct. Because I, yeah. I haven't, I have thought of that as neural, like neural network. I don't, I guess I don't attribute that to AI. Maybe I should. Um, it, it's not really AI. It's more of an expert system. Okay. Um, so it, it, it has very strict parameters. So like, okay, mm -hmm. the like location, direction, and so on. Um, it, it, but it's, it's still it's an AI model that's been trained on other on scenario on, on many scenarios. Right. Yeah, it's Probably. not it's not quite as simple as I've made it out to be because there are over a thousand variables that it has to take into consideration. Everything from the temperature of the glass at the time, the angle of the glass, the composition of the glass, where did it originate from, how thick oh, wow. is it. You know, the, blah, 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 blah. The, the AI really is not so much in the drone itself as in the model that an, analyzes the, tele, the telemetry that is provided by the drone. Correct. Yeah, the GPS, the telemetry, other, other environmental factors, also optimization, the output per minute on the grid, you know, because you're selling this back to the grid. Um, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. There, there's a lot involved. So Plus, which, you also have to accommodate for the drone's behavior itself. An updraft. <laughs> yeah. Where, where to to bring this all the way around? Where's the digital twin? Or is what is is the digital twin the array? What's are we modeling the drone in that space? What if, what if you had 10, I guess, or if you had 10 drones trying to do that survey, which would make sense to me. How the, about the you have a array that the drones are your sensors? Okay. Pardon? The drones I'm are sorry. the sensors, but they're also, they're also active components in the model, right? They, you have to, right. they can't bump into each other. The whole okay, thing let's is just say. Twin. Yeah. Let's just say that there is there are different kinds of drones. Each one has a digital twin, and that digital twin talks to the model, the other digital twin of the array. For the type of field that it may be, the size of the field, the expansion of the field, all of that sort of stuff. There are multiple involved. There are somewhat different and what i'm kind of guiding them around is not writing the algorithms that's not my job but how you would go about interfacing these digital twins and using the metadata to do it and to feed that back into various back office systems 
there's a lot of agribusiness that is now going into the solar side as well. That makes sense to me. I, I mean, is how big of an improvement? I mean, you have to do the build. How how what's the ROI for this? Like, how big of an improvement do you need in a in solar function to justify? Sixty-five percent in test is what you is the benefit you get, or is the justify the what the need? No, sixty-five percent overall improvement in each wow. glass in each array. So think about the ones that are in the southwest, or the one in the Mojave, or other parts of the world, like around in, in the Middle East. Um, if you're getting 65% improvement from each pane of glass by using this system, that's it's huge. Remarkable. No, it's remarkable. And it's, and it's, uh, I used to do work in oil fields. Um, and the way oil fields work is they, they're assumed unlimited. Solar actually is a, a more or less unlimited source. And any second that you're not, producing is lost is lost revenue forever right is how they how they typically think about it so if you've got something that's operating in degraded in a degraded state for a day that's you know revenue from that panel that you'll never recover well you know it's interesting because i'm i'm having a conversation with a professor at stanford and you know his argument is uh, and it's not a just we we agree with each other's point of view. Um, his argument is that if you can figure out how to put various types of digital twins together, you can actually impact carbon capture, food production, uh, the use of how the like not only how the equipment is used, but there are big impacts that can be derived with a lot of optimization cost coming back into uh, the revenue streams of these businesses. And it would be enough that you could probably electrify certain areas that are not electrified now. Like think about Africa, right? On the Serengeti or, or in certain areas where there's extreme poverty. Could you lift them up in such a way by using, by creating what would be an open source kind of digital twin capability and then saying here now if you can get the equipment funded here's the way you could make this village do whatever awesome. right. yeah we we are we are over time this this is the potential with this is so big it's just a matter of understanding it to me but... i i got a fun use case for y'all all right go ahead Next generation air superiority fighter for the U.S. Air Force. Beyond the so the next generation beyond the F thirty five. In the old model, they would spend a decade or two decades building prototypes and testing the prototypes. Um, were what they what they did now is they used they created a digital twin and then flew the digital twin through the cyberspace that mm -hmm. simulated you know environmental conditions. Uh, and so they were able to produce a prototype after having done the digital simulations using the digital twin uh, that was probably 10 years ahead of where they would have been if they were using the traditional 
uh, R&D process for building fighter jets. So we're talking about a savings of hundreds of millions to billions of dollars. Absolutely. Right. Uh, I, you know, I also I also would anticipate that it would handle um, edge cases more gracefully than human designs do. We're pretty bad at edge cases. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's way faster to run a wind tunnel test you know, using a digital twin than it is to actually, you know, have somebody get the exacto knife out with the balsa wood and start shaping wings. Well, you know, it's it's really interesting, and I, I, I I'm going to be very vague about this. Ten years ago, I got invited by the Mitre Group to look at a design for a digital twin for something very close to what you're talking about that uses the word stealth and whether or not it could be created in its entirety as a digital twin and then sent out to mm. 22 different manufacturers of componentry to actually have built, but in such a way that none of them knew what the other was doing and use the digital twin as the supervisory control. And it was amazing to say the least, but break your brain at the best of times. Yeah. yeah. And then you can start designing the software and the computers. I mean, it's, it's, it's revolutionary. I, uh, and it's in its infancy. Think about it. Yeah, it, most people aren't thinking about how they could how they could use it. And Joanne, I love your your example in agriculture. I had not even thought about that. I I when I hear digital twin, I think R and D. Yeah, R and D, and and the the use case you used, I think, is really important. So let's think about a control system for avionics. Right in the old days, we'd have a decision system that was developed through thousands of hours of testing and simulation where they would test different variable settings and weightings, et cetera, right? And the new model, we're replacing that decision system with a AI system, a neural net or other you know, system that replaces that decision system but the idea that kind of just blew my mind now was the idea that you could use it. We, you could take that AI system and use actual operational conditions and events as training data. So it continually gets better at its job as it's deployed in the field. So we have kind of this merging of digital twin between kind of the R&D development element to the continual yeah. operational improvement. And that was totally worth the 20 minutes I spent logging in for the last few minutes of this. So thank well, you, man. You have to catch so you up. You're telling me I'm long-winded. Um, actually, Tyler, if you want to see something very cool, I don't know if it's publicly available, but I'll try and get it for you if it's not. Take a look at Caterpillar, or sorry, John Deere, and the fully autonomous tractors. And you will understand exactly where my head is because those tractors are not only autonomous, but they use the digital twin technology as the learning, as the neural net. 
lay out the farm, you know, the, the hectares that are, are under, uh, that are growing food. And then they program the tractors using that digital twin to actually run themselves, including if they hit an obstacle that they're not familiar with to come to a dead stop, notify an operator, wait for a human to come out and either remove the obstacle or say, no, you're, you, you know, you missed a digit somewhere because there's nothing here. But it could be something as small as a stone or as large as, God forbid, a human being who's been trapped underneath. And what they're doing from a business point of view is they're not selling the tractor. I, I, I just had visions of the movie Fargo in my head. You know, the. the... <laughs> yeah, but um, they're not selling you the tractor anymore for millions of dollars. They'll, they're selling you the um, agriculture as a service model. Yeah. And charging you for all of the intelligence in the tractor now the guy who comes up with the one that is painted with a, a coating that is uh, photo photovoltaic or photoelectronic in some way or allows for parts of the field to also contain those solar panels is a very smart farmer Yeah, that seems like narrow, narrow, put, putting rows of solar beside your crops makes tons of sense to me. Vertically, yeah. Yeah. We'll get, yeah, uh, yeah, especially since there's a lot of overlap, um, you know, with, with, with that, that, that or if you want a lot of sun coverage during the day, so. Or, or if you can, or if you can justify this, the fields when they're not in, in production. Another really fascinating session. Every time we bring up digital twins, I feel like I am learning new dimensions in how this technology can be applied to everyday lives. Um, and really thinking through this intersection of how computers are learning to interact with the environment. More and more that comes from learning from computers that have learned how to interact with the environment. And so we keep building on top of this, but throwing in generative AI, which has been a favorite topic of the group uh, lately, uh, takes us to a whole nother level where we look at how AI can actually think about improving the systems based on the information we have from the systems. Uh, a bit recursive here. Uh, if this is interesting to you, please come in and join us at the 2030.cloud. We'd love to have you in the conversations, asking questions and being part of the dialogue. I'll see you there. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly. Or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.